good morning. Schedule change here at Power Mizzou. We are doing our weekly live show at nine o'clock in the morning due to a specific request from Drew King to start his birthday with me on uh, YouTube. So uh, that is that is our present to Drew and our present to you guys. Um, want to remind you before we get going and, and talk about last night's win over Mississippi State and what it means for Missouri going forward. We want to remind you to get in touch, if especially if you have, say, a 10-hour road trip coming up today. Get in touch with James Carlton State Farm. Make sure you have some insurance on that car. First of all, it's legally required. Second of all, um, well, it's legally required, so you should do it. CarltonInsurance.net, 314-961-4800. Get in touch with James. Ask him what he can do for you, for your insurance needs. Also, if you do that, if you get a quote from James, if you tell him you heard about it on Power Mizzou, he's going to donate $20 to Every True Tiger Foundation, Mizzou's NIL collective. So even if he can't save you money, even if you choose to be a renegade and have no insurance, at least you can help out Mizzou's NIL causes by getting getting in touch with James. We ask you to do that. Again, Missouri, a 66-64 overtime winner last night. Drew in a game that kind of seems like a season saver to me. Um, a little bit. It was definitely, um, I, I'll, I'll say it was probably the most important win of the season just because um, they avoided a three-game losing streak, which they haven't had this year. Um, and obviously, like, it had a lot of tournament implications too not just the ncaa but the sec tournament too and so um I, I don't know that it necessarily saved their season but it definitely made things a lot easier for the rest of the way right they they could have gotten in the ncaa tournament with the loss last night um but they made it easier in that they now have three games left they are against three of the four worst teams in the league uh two are on the road but look at you should at a bare minimum be able to split Georgia and LSU on the road. Mm -hmm. And last night's win allows you to just split those. And I think it in and, and truthfully, and a lot of people have been pointing this out on the message board in the last 24 hours. If you look at the bubble, I'm not even sure Missouri actually has to split them. Like North Carolina is on the bubble and they're 0 and 9 in quad one games this year. Like, yeah, I think every year we kind of tend to forget that a lot of not very good teams actually make the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, even though they're going on the road, you're looking at LSU and Georgia, like these are two of the bottom four teams in the conference. Mm -hmm. um, so, like splitting should be a whole lot, splitting those two games should be a lot easier than splitting the Tennessee Auburn trip. Right. right. So um, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, Miss the, the Mississippi state win gave them, you know, it built up the cushion again for them going down the stretch of the reg regular season. Yeah. And uh, uh, we do want to invite you guys, if you've got comments, questions, if you're starting your morning here with us, uh, please feel free to put those in. We'll, we'll throw them up on the screen and get to them throughout the show. Um, also worth noting that Georgia has lost its last two games by a combined 81 points. I understand 39 or 40, 49 to Alabama. One of those is Alabama, but mm -hmm. they also lost by 32 at Arkansas last night. Mm -hmm. Missouri is, I think, comparable 
to Arkansas. At least that's what the season would say. So I'm not saying Missouri should go to Athens and win by 32, but quite frankly, Missouri should go to Athens and win. And the reason I think last night was so big was not just what we've talked about already, but they had that game one with six seconds left in regulation. You know, um, it, it, they should have had it one with 20 seconds left in regulation. Kobe Brown went one of two from the free throw line. Yeah. Moy Hodge missed the front end of a one and one. That's effectively mm-hmm. one for four from the free throw line. Kobe then missed an open layup on the last play of regulation. To lose that game would have been damaging. To lose it after everything they had set up in the last 30 seconds, like I think you could easily see that being a situation that would have carried over to Saturday. Yeah, well, and, and to add to that, you know, I know the analytics say that it was the right thing to do, but they they kind of intentionally sent Tolu to the free throw line with Mississippi State's last possession, and Tolu made his free throws. Um, so that, I think that was also a factor in it. Um, but no, you're right. Like that was um, a game that they, you know, it. It was a tight one down the stretch. They 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 were in a couple of positions where they should have pulled away and, and did it until they until Nick Honor decided to hit you know the shot of one of the shots of the season I guess that right. DeAndre Golston didn't hit but yeah. <laughs> um, well yeah. it, and it was a game that like the first half I felt like wait Missouri should not be losing this game. And they were. Mm-hmm. And then most of the second half, I felt like, wait, Missouri should be down by 15 points. And they aren't. And then the last minute of regulation, it felt like they were trying to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. And then the last minute of overtime, they they did the opposite. I mean, it, it was just wildly back and forth. Um, but I, you mentioned the, the Gates comment about intentionally fouling Tolu Smith. So you can debate whether, I mean, he says analytics says it's the right move. I will believe him. He knows more about that than I do. Mm-hmm. I understand the idea. Here's the issue I had with it. I don't think Missouri actually executed it correctly. Like he said, the idea was bear hug Tolu Smith, foul him when he gets the ball. The problem is they waited until he had the ball like three feet from the basket with a yeah. really good position. And Kobe didn't foul him until he was shooting. And that shot almost went in. Like, yeah, I understand the strategy. I just don't think Missouri did what Dennis Gates said he wanted it to do. Yeah. And you think about it too, like they waited for a while, like into the shot clock too. And if you're wanting right. – the last possession of the game, I'm trying to get Do as it much time court. as I can. Yeah, so that was definitely kind of an interesting execution of what Dennis Gates yeah. wanted. Um, and I believe him that that's what he wanted. Like, I don't think he's making that up. I just don't think Missouri carried out the plan yeah. to the way he maybe had it drawn up in his head. The other thing was, and we talked about this like as it was happening. When Tolu goes to the line and he makes the first one, which by the way, I'm still not sure how that went in. It hit the rim like seven times and, and fell through. But once he made the first one, I said, I think it's actually better for Missouri if he makes this one because despite the fact they had rebounded better, every person in that arena was kind of thinking in the back of their head, if he misses this, there is absolutely no guarantee that Missouri's getting this rebound. And that's where... That's where the strategy falls apart a little bit in my head. It's just you've been so bad at defensive rebounding 
that this is the one team where, like, I'm always a proponent of foul up three with five seconds left. If I'm mm-hmm. Dennis Gates, I don't because the other team actually has a pretty good chance to rebound in this free throw. Yeah, and, you know, they I don't think Mississippi State necessarily got offensive rebounds off of free throws last night. but Not last um, night, but it's happened all year. It, it's, it's definitely happened all year, and um, you're right that, like, Mizzou um, – their defensive rebound rate is like the second worst in the entire country. Um, so uh, you are right to not have complete faith in them to get the board that would, you know, seal Mississippi State's fate there. Um, I, I actually wrote my, my stats that stood out piece this morning, though, and um, I think that Mizzou's struggles on the board are mostly on the defensive end because if you look at their offensive numbers, they're they're actually pretty close to average at getting their own misses. It's getting the other team's misses that seem to be the problem. And 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 nobody's going to say this out loud. I have to believe a big part of that is they are focused so much on getting out in transition that they're probably sending fewer capable rebounders to the glass mm. than a lot of teams. And last night was different. Now, I think Trey Gomillion's return is a part of that. I think Mohamed Diara's efforts on the glass is a part of that. I also feel like way, last night... Mo Diara and Trey Gomillion, they have the top two uh, rebounding, offensive rebounding rates among guards and forwards on the team. Okay, okay. So... I feel like last night, though, there was a concerted, a concerted strategic change somehow to make rebounding more important. And I wonder if that's what it'll be going forward. Because, again, Missouri lost the rebounding battle last night, but it was mm-hmm. competitive. They lost it by three, not by 19. That's a huge difference. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I think that was, you know, it hasn't always been – a huge factor in some of these games. Like sometimes Mizzou right. will, will lose the rebounding battle by 10 and still come out with the win. Um, but I felt like that Texas A&M game, um, that was a, a real issue for them was that Texas A&M had a, you know, a lot of misses, but were mostly scoring off of their second chance points. Um, and so I think this season has made me question the value of rebounding just because Mizzou's been able to overcome it a whole lot of times, but um, if they are able to improve, like it doesn't do anything but help you, right? Because you're at the bottom right now. Yeah. Do you know offhand who the last place team in defensive rebounding is? Like who's worse at it than Missouri? Um, I can find out really quick. Hold up. Um, I was just curious. So, yeah, I, I know I'll it's feel- a mid-major team, but it is okay. – uh, got to scroll to the bottom now. Hold on, I, hit I, I, I was. I'm hoping it's somebody that like Missouri can play in the tournament. You know where. where Unfortunately, it is not. It is Morgan State who is 13 and 14 on the season. So gonna it need, doesn't look gonna like... need Morgan State to go on a run in the MIAC. <laughs> Did I get that right? Are they in the MIAC? Um, they. I think they are. Uh, are they are in the MIAC? Congratulations, Kate. That's uh, that's sadly impressive or impressively sad, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, so one last point I want to make on this game before we get to to kind of some of the questions and spinning it forward and all that. And again, if you guys have comments, questions, uh, throw them up in the uh, in the comment section, and and we will get to those uh, in the second part of the show. But the biggest thing to me last night was that this team now has tangible, visible proof 
it can win a game in which it does not shoot well, in which it's forced into half-court offense, in which it scores in the 50s slash 60s, because realistically, they should have won that game 59-57 in regulation, right? So that is, that's not a thing this team has done this year. It's not a thing. I, I mean, they they won the UCF game 68-66. Other than that, they are 0-8 when they haven't scored 70. I haven't looked at the shooting percentages. I would largely imagine in most of those wins, they have shot the three relatively well. They didn't shoot it well all night last night until they had to. But if you are going to go on any sort of a run in either the conference tournament or the NCAA tournament, if you are going to win multiple games in either of those events, you are most likely going to have to win once the way they won last night. And going in, showing you can do it, even if it's only one time, I, I think is so much bigger than having no idea if you can actually do it. Absolutely. Um, and I think Trey Gomillion was a huge, huge part of that for them. Um, I, I just kept thinking to myself, like, I really forgot what Trey can do for them, right? Because he just, like, he does not have a whole lot of stats he obviously had 10 rebounds last night but like nothing on his stat line usually you know pops off it makes you say like wow Trey had a really good night but he impacts so many things for them and and just brings like a different attitude for the team and so when you see him out there um it, it really is like having a coach on the court because you'll see him like really calm the guys down and get them organized. Um, and, and there's a reason that Dennis trusts him that much, right? Dennis said last mm -hmm. night he's going to have Trey on the staff after his playing career is over with. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that Trey was really able to help guide them through one of these games where the shots weren't falling um, and, and it was a, a real slugfest that they've had struggles with all year. Yeah, and, and this is a good way to transition to the comments. We've got a couple about Gomillion. I wrote about him last night because despite the fact that Nick Honor hit the game-winning shot, I thought Trey Gomillion was the most important player in that game. And it was, I mean, I asked Honor about him last night, and he said he's the guy that does everything nobody else wants to do, right? And I think that's a, a really good way to describe him. This is a bad defensive team. He is a good defensive player. Like Demoy Hodge gets the attention because he gets a lot of steals. Mm -hmm. I don't think Demoy Hodge is a particularly good defensive player. I think he gets a lot of steals, but I don't think he's all that good. I think Trey Gomillion's a, a legitimately good, fundamentally sound defensive player that like you can put on the other team's point guard if you have to. If he gets caught in a switch against a guy like Tolu Smith, it's not automatic death. Right. I mean, yeah, he can he can defend somebody. He will get a rebound. He it, there were a couple of plays last night, too, where I noticed he gets the rebound and he kind of weaves in and out of traffic dribbling. And then he gets up court and it's two on four and he pulls it back like he just I, I don't know how to say it other than I think he's the smartest player on the team. Like he has the best basketball IQ. Um, well, you know, you mentioned like him getting switched onto Tolu Smith and being able to hold his own. I, I have a term for that. It's called he has that dog in him. Like that's what <laughs> Trey brings to the table is, is just like he's not going to he's not scared of anybody. Yes. I think that's the main thing. Right. Um, he's been through a lot. Right. He had to go through Juco and Cleveland State to get to this point. And so um, I, I think he realizes um, 
kind of the stage that he's on now. Um, and he was Horizon League Defensive Player of the Year um, the season before Demoy Hodge won the award. Mm-hmm. So um, I think he's always been that type of defender. It's it's just really cool to see it translate to this level, right? And it's been huge for Mizzou this season. And I think, like, I think he's the embodiment of this team in this. Nobody's told Trey Gomillion he's not supposed to be able to do this at this level, yeah. right? Nobody's told this team they weren't supposed to win 20 games. Maybe because if you look at the talent, they probably shouldn't. But here's the other thing I think that getting Trey back has has allowed this team to do. So last night, look, Trey Golston just didn't have. I mean, Dennis Gates said it. If you watch the game, you could see it. You don't have to understand a lot about basketball to know he's not playing well tonight. Sean East was like, I don't think he was bad. He was just largely invisible. He, he, he wasn't costing you anything, but he wasn't really giving you anything. So that Gomillion being back gave Dennis Gates another option that he hasn't had for the last eight games, you know? And now look, he could have put Gomillion out there and last night Gomillion didn't play well and they could have lost. But the point mm-hmm. is he at least finally had the option to do it because this is a team as much as we've talked about their depth and, and guys coming up that, you know, different guys every night, Ronnie DeGray ain't playing. Isaiah Mosley ain't playing. And Trey Gomillion hasn't been playing. And Aiden Shaw, sometimes plays and sometimes doesn't the truth is this is a seven to eight man rotation right now so every guy that you add to at that that maybe on one given night can help you is it's big yeah absolutely and like you know uh, you mentioned Aiden Child they got some decent minutes out of Mabor Majak last night you know like that was that's uh, another guy you can throw out there matchup dependent when the, the other team has a player that's kind of too big for Aiden Shaw to handle. Mabor Majak can just go and stand underneath the rim with his hands up, and that's all you need him to do, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think that that's always been a strength of the team is the depth that it has and the different kind of combinations of lineups that Dennis can put out there depending on what the team needs at that moment. And Trey brings a different skill set kind of from everybody else on the team. And so it was really good to see him mainly look healthy. I think that was just right. the main difference was, you know, we saw him in the Texas A&M game, but he only played three minutes. Um, and so after not seeing him for three weeks, you know, since that Alabama game, it, it was a good reminder of what Trey is able to bring for the team because you, you realize like they, they actually really missed him while he was hurt. Um, and, and so, I, yeah, I think that's a pretty good sign for the team that he's back. And I think all this speaks to why Missouri fans should feel really good about this and why I think this thing is sustainable under Dennis Gates. He has taken Trey Gomillion and made him a valuable player in the SEC. He has taken Demoy Hodge and made him, I think, a guy that's got a shot at second team all league. He has taken Kobe Brown and made him a far better and more complete player than he's ever been. He has at times called on Mabor Majak and, uh, you know, uh, these guys that were like, I mean, we had written off Mohamed Diara. We just assumed he was mm-hmm. never going to play this year. And now he's starting and is really good. But the, the flip side of that is I think the thing he does that a lot of coaches don't do is he's willing to do something like tell DeAndre Golston with 18 minutes left in that game, this ain't your night, man. Sit down. We're going to go somewhere else. And 
Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to start next next week or that you're not going to play a really big role at some point. And he has gotten all these guys somehow to buy into that and to seemingly handle it. And that's all big picture stuff that goes, I think, well beyond this year and, and why Missouri fans should be pretty optimistic about this dude. You know, I think Dennis kind of set the tone pretty early on in the season at the Wichita State game because, um, you know, Kobe got into foul trouble, came back and did not play well. And Dennis Gates said, uh, like, okay, you're going to be on the bench in overtime and we're going to run with the five that's working tonight. Um, and credit to Kobe for for accepting that, right? Because, um, I mean, I, I think if Kobe A lot of guys is, wouldn't. Yes, a lot of guys wouldn't. And I think the rest of the team sees, like, if Kobe's willing to do that, then who am I to be upset about it, right? And so, um, yeah, like, DeAndre Golston is still going to be a, a really important piece of the team during this stretch run. Um, and, and last night wasn't his night. And so, but I, I think Dennis has been very consistent about just using the guys who are getting the job done on the court every night. And, and so credit to him for figuring that out. And like an underrated thing, I think, and, and look, I've always said more that winning makes chemistry more than chemistry makes winning. So mm -hmm. if this team was six games under 500, they would not have good chemistry, right? But but a thing that a lot of people, I think, will kind of roll their eyes at, but the first guy off the bench to hug Nick Honor last night was Dre Golston. Mm -hmm. In the background of one of the pictures was Aiden Shaw, who didn't play a minute with just a huge smile on his face, right? Like, yes, they all want to play. Aiden would love to play 30 minutes a game. Drake Olson would love to never come off the court. But to get the guys who maybe that night aren't playing to be as bought in as the guys who who are is, I, I mean, that's coaching. That, that's, that's that's coaching more than drawing up the, the inbounds play or, or then, if you believe Dennis Gates, yelling, shoot it to Nick Honor when he crosses midcourt. You know, I don't know if he did that or not, but it makes for a good story. Um so we'll, we'll get to to kind of rounding out the questions and comments and stuff. Jason wants to know how much weight collectively did the Mizzou fan base lose sweating out that game? I mean, it was like, I still don't actually think it's Mizzou's most unlikely win. They were down four points with seven seconds to go in Knoxville. Like, mm -hmm. that's not a game you, I, I, I think if you looked at like a win probability chart, that would still be significantly less. I actually did look at the win probability chart. Um, Ken Palm has it as the 15th most tense game of this season uh, out of any game well, this season. And, and I think I think a big part of that is because neither team ever led by more than six. I mean, Missouri's biggest lead in that game was four points. That entire game was played in a 10-point window. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of uh, boxing in a phone booth, right? Like you yeah. can't pull, pull away from the other guy. Um, and, and so I, I feel like maybe that was the main difference between Tennessee. Like they were up 17 in Knoxville and Tennessee came back. Um, so collectively, I would say, I'm trying to think, there was like 12,000 people in the arena. Let's say everybody lost uh, a pound of sweat. Um, so that's about six tons. Yeah. The, the the dancing kid on the jumbotron lost at least two or three times that like that kid was working. <laughs> so uh, we'll we'll get to the next two questions. Really, are what everybody wants to know here in in order. So Ron wants to know: Are they at lock status now for the tournament? I mean, assuming they beat Ole Miss and or LSU or Georgia, 
then yes. But mm-hmm. like they still have to actually there is a world that exists in which they lose all three of these games. And in that case, I think they still could, would probably be left out. You think they'll, they would be left out if they lost all three? I think they'd have a pretty good chance lose these three and then lose your first one in Nashville. Like, look, I don't think that's happening, but the right. chance of it is non-zero. Uh, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. I guess I, I think at this point it's like, a 99% lock though. Um, when yeah. you look at who they're going up against, um, and ha- you know, just kind of the resume so far, uh, Joe Lenardi, I- I'll bring it up again, said that they were a 90% lock after the Auburn loss. Um, and-, and so I think this win pretty much got them the rest of the way there. Yeah. Uh, uh, they are, they're like literally, five steps from the finish line. All they have to do is not pass out and collapse before they get there. Right. But until they actually get there, uh, you know, you still got to leave open that 1%. Uh, Bradley wants to know what's a realistic seed in the tournament. If they win the last, so let's say they win the last three They're That'll put them 23 and eight Mm -hmm. overall 11 and seven in the league. Zero losses outside of quad one. You know, four and eight, I think, in quad one games. Yeah. I don't know what, like, like, take the SEC tournament out of it because I don't think the SEC tournament really matters unless Missouri would go do something like beat Tennessee and Alabama or Texas yeah. A&M and Alabama. So take that out of it. They go three and oh, what do you think is reasonable? I think probably at the highest, like, uh, probably like one of the higher seven seeds. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, if you can go on a huge run in the SEC tournament, you might move up to a, to a five or a six. But um, given just like what's left on the regular season slate um, and winning those last three games, I think that would move on up to a seven seed. I think that they're probably one of the eight seeds right now. And, um, yeah. you know, the last three games aren't really going to move the needle that much. Yeah, I think they're probably on the 8-9 line right now. Now, it, here's the thing. This is not done in a vacuum. It depends on mm-hmm. what the other teams around them. I mean, if Michigan State loses three straight to end the season, Missouri maybe moves above them in the S-curve, right? You also have to adjust for things like adjusting teams a seed line to avoid, like, if Missouri is an eight seed and they're supposed to play Kansas in the second round and the committee goes, well, we can't do that to Kansas and give them Missouri and Des Moines in round two. So let's move Missouri to a seven seed in this other team to like things like that do happen. And the committee says they happen. So, you know, I think you've got to, to allow one, uh, a one line margin for error. I, I think the ceiling's a six. Um, yeah. I, because and, and I think what, what, again, we have to account for, like Jerry Palm and all those guys told you last year, is we are trying to project what we think is important to a 12-person committee, and we don't yeah. know that. So I, it is possible those 12 people get in that room and deem Missouri a 6 seed. It is possible they deem them a 10 seed. I would be very surprised if it's any higher or lower than that, but I do think there's still that much variance depending, A, on what happens, and B, on just... I don't know how those 12 people feel that weekend. Yeah, that that's the main thing is like when you see these projections, a lot of times it is solely like one person trying to do the job of 12 and it's an impossible task. And so, um, but you are right, you know, like 
Jerry Palm has pretty consistently been the highest on Missouri, and it's because like they don't have bad losses. Um, and you mentioned earlier in the show they do like, have good wins. They do have good wins. They have good wins. North Carolina doesn't have any good wins, okay. really, right? And I I don't know how they stack up quad two through four, but I would I would bet that they have um, like a quad two loss somewhere in there mm-hmm. too. Um, so yeah, I I think. Um, Missouri comparatively, like resume-wise, stacks up pretty well. Uh, the analytics are going to play a factor, though, and that's kind of what's been holding them back in a lot of these projections is, is that, like, they're 62 on Ken Palm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that... And and without the ability to really move up, to be honest. Right, yeah. Um, unless you want to blow these last three teams out by 40. Um, right. You, the needle's not moving up that much. So um, I, I, I think you're right that a, a sixth seed is probably the ceiling for them. And I really do think Missouri – now, Missouri fans won't appreciate this, but I think they will be a fascinating case study on Selection Sunday because mm-hmm. it will tell us a lot about what this committee values. Now, that's only this committee. It's a different committee next year. So just because they valued this one thing this year doesn't mean they'll value it next year. But I do think it will be interesting – based on where Missouri, and, and that's why I say they could be a sixth because that committee could go in and say, look, they've beaten other teams that are fours and threes and, and twos in this, in this tournament. Like mm-hmm. they're a sixty. So it, it'll be very interesting to see kind of a well, topic. Go ahead. And, you know, like the committee might say like, well, you know, we kept Texas A&M out of it last year because we didn't really factor in the conference tournament as much and got a really negative reaction about that. So they might swing it wildly the other direction mm-hmm. this year and say like, oh, te- conference tournaments actually have a whole lot of weight this year, right? You really don't know until right. Selection Sunday. My my guess is the reason conference tournaments don't matter is because those dudes have been like in a room for two weeks and they're like, screw this, we're going to the hotel bar. I ain't trying to do this on Saturday at 10 p.m. <laughs> you know. So uh, yeah, off topic here, Holy Schilt wants to know why Nate Oates hasn't been fired yet. I, I will only say this. I don't want to get into a Second Amendment discussion and, and all of that. Um, if we fired college coaches for saying stupid things, we would have very few college coaches. Sometimes they say stupid things. Yes, I agree. But I, I, I mean, I think Nate Oates did say some pretty stupid things. Multiple stupid um, things. Yes. Like, 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 think about this. The fact that he said out loud he consulted Ray Lewis on how to handle a murder investigation is not the stupidest thing he said in the last month. Right. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I, but look, he's not going to get fired. Uh, but I, yeah, I don't know. Um, but, but I understand people whose reaction is, how is there zero discipline for this kid? Um, mm-hmm. I also think after rereading the story yesterday, there was some murkiness in that thing that like, I'm not sure I, some parts of it were unclear to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, but you know, I, I, I also think you're right when you say like, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily a fireable offense, but um, I, I think there does need to be a lot more transparency about what happened. And um, so far, that has not been brought to light yet. Did, 
Did you read his apology last night? No, I didn't. It sucked. I mean, it was basically, I'm sorry for my, I forget it was, but it was not a strong enough word. And he's like, it was not my intent to minimize the event. I'm like, but you did minimize. It was a terrible apology, yeah. like all of them are. He just shouldn't even have said that, to be quite honest. Uh, all right, moving back to Mizzou. Kyle wants to know any idea on the status of Ronnie DeGray? I mean, he is wearing a full length knee brace. I think it mm -hmm. is both of our opinions that Ronnie's done for the year, right? Yeah, no, we I mean, don't know that. Nobody's told us that. Correct. Like we we haven't gotten a Ronnie update in a while, and so that's kind of what makes me think that he's not gonna be back by the end of the season. Um, because like I like I've said, you know, Dennis Gates would tell us like, oh, Trey's running in practice again, and we have not heard that about Ronnie at all. So um, I I don't think it's a good sign for him. Yeah. Uh, Sam wants to know if there are any thoughts on Des Moines Hodge breaking the Mizzou single season steals record. I, has he actually done that or is it just something that could happen? I think he said on the radio show this week that he was gunning for it. I don't know that he has hit it yet um, or how close he's getting. Um, yeah, but I but I, I, I do think it is a goal of Des Moines to do that this year. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think he could get there. He is. He is a boomer bust defensive player, man. I mean, he will get some steals and he will turn them into baskets. And when he doesn't get steals, he very frequently gives up points, you know? So, uh, so it's pretty interesting. Uh, Sam Thomas said, someone said that Golston is dealing with an undisclosed injury. That's another one where some people said at halftime of the A&M game, it looked like maybe his shoulder was hurt. Um, we don't know that. Uh, we, we had very limited time with, with Dennis Gates on Monday, so didn't get a chance. We'll, yeah. we'll try to make check that out later this week when we get him. But but I don't know that to be honest. Yeah, and I I asked you know the SID yesterday is he available? He said yes, and and Golston was out there warming up without any kind of sleeve or or brace on his arm or shoulder or elbow. So um, I'm not sure exactly what happened because I didn't see it, but um, I I don't know that it's holding him back. Other it, than it could be. It could be an are you hurt or are you injured situation, right? Ronnie right. DeGray is injured. Dre Golston may be hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kyle says, Diara surprises me with his handles a couple times every game. Like, he's pretty good for, for a big man handling the ball and shoot. Like, he drove from the, the corner yesterday uh, early in the game. and Not a lot of 6'11 guys can do that. Yeah, I mean, he had a bounce pass to Des Moines on a backdoor cut, too. Um, and, and so mm -hmm. when people call him a project player, like, he does have a lot of flaws, right? He he had 5,017 minutes last night. That's something that he's got to work on. But you can see the outline of, like, what he could be, especially if he comes back next year. Because, uh, like, you can see the potential with him and, and, and what Mizzou could turn him into and how they want to use him. Yeah. Um, okay. Danny wants to know, and th this seems like a good place to to wrap it up. And I just saw this question for the first time and Drew hasn't seen it either. So this is very off the top of mm. my head. Name some tourney teams that you think would be a fun matchup for Mizzou. So I always like to, to just kind of, you know, see teams that, that you're never going to see. And, and like, I want, I'd like to see him play against another like, really up-tempo offensive basketball team. St. Mary's 
uh, is a really good offensive team mm-hmm. that I think they could maybe see in like a seven ten game in the first round. Yeah, uh, I th- I think the most fun potential second round game would be Missouri Arizona because if you look at the metrics, Arizona is probably the best offensive team in college basketball. Courtney Ramey's a point guard out there, St. Louis kid. Um, I think that that would be a game that would have the potential to be like 101-96 and maybe give Missouri a chance to exercise some uh, Damon Stoudemire, Khalid Reeves uh, ghosts from the 1994 NCAA tournament. But those were just two that, that kind of jump out to me right off the top of the, my head. Yeah, um, I think if you want a win in the first round, I would try to look at Rutgers. I, I would try to go for Morgan State. Yeah, Morgan State. <laughs> Um, but I, I think Rutgers, you know, is, is probably a decent matchup for them. Um, I, I would also like if I'm Mizzou, I want Duke, right? Because Duke is not the same team that it has been in past years. Um, I, I think that they don't have like that big thumping center that gives Mizzou problems like a Tolu Smith. Um, and how many times, how many opportunities are there to take on? a vulnerable Duke team in the NCAA tournament and potentially pick up a a win over them. So um, if I'm a zoo, that's the team that I personally would want in the tournament. Yeah. There's not a lot of downside to that, right? If you lose people will go, well, it's Duke. It's Duke. Yeah. But, but the flip side of that is I've seen Missouri actually played, I want to say it was 2000. They played North Carolina. That was an eight seed. It was an eight, nine game. Carolina was an eight seed with Brendan Haywood when Bill Guthridge was the coach and, that Carolina team beat Missouri and then went to the final four. Like those, those blue bloods that get like an eight, nine seed. Sometimes it's just a matter of they have all the talent in the world and they haven't put it together. And if they do put it together, you have no, like Duke has tons of talent. If they put it together on that night, you really don't want to play them. Right. Well, And and that is what happened with North Carolina last year. Like they were an eight seed and went all the way to the championship game. So maybe you're right. They, they may, might not want Duke, but I, I think the worst matchup is like a, and I haven't watched this year's Michigan State team play a lot, so I don't know. Yeah. But like a team that is what Michigan State usually is, which is going to guard the hell out of you, be physical, and try to beat you fifty-seven, fifty-six. Um, that's tough for Missouri in March. Uh, the one thing about the tournament that helps Missouri, they generally call a lot fewer fouls. They let mm-hmm. teams play. Um, so I think that's good for Missouri. Another team that popped into my head that might be fun is Iowa. They like to get up and down yeah. and shoot the ball. That'd be a fun first round matchup. I, I'll, I'll point this out though. Cause I'm looking at bracketmatrix.com uh, just to look at the teams that are kind of in that range. Um, let's see. Arkansas, Mizzou, Auburn, Texas A&M, and Kentucky are all teams projected on the 8-9 line right now. So, um, Which it, is it, impossible because it would mean two of them would play each other in that game. Right, exactly. So um, yeah. the seeding is going to be kind of interesting um, by the end of the year. Well, we'll wrap it up. Kyle says uh, Des Moines Hodges five steals away from the single season record. I think he gets go. it. He he definitely yeah. gets it if postseason counts, but I think he's got a good shot at it in the regular season. So, um, like I said, we're trying to get Drew um, on the road to Texas today. So we did it early. Appreciate you guys hanging out. Um, a lot of activity here. So 
Uh, who knows? Maybe 9 a.m. is the right time to do this, right? But uh, appreciate you guys uh, joining us. If you're watching live with us, hit the like button, subscribe to the channel. If you are listening on the podcast, uh, share it on social media, leave us a, a nice review, say good things, and wish you a happy birthday. Um, regardless of what you do, check out James Carlton State Farm at carltoninsurance.net. Give them a call, 314-961-4800. They got a lot of team driver programs auto insurance, home insurance, whatever you need. James Carlton is your go-to guy if you live in the state of Missouri or the state of Illinois. He's also going to donate $20 to Mizzou's NIL Collective for every person who gets a quote from him and tells him that he, you guys heard about it here on Power Mizzou. So um, late night, well, not super late night last night, but a little bit of an early morning after after game last night, but appreciate you guys uh, fitting it into your schedule. Um, Mizzou at Georgia on noon on Saturday. The only game the rest of the way we won't be at in person. Drew will have uh, coverage of that one. Just, just we won't physically be in the arena, but we'll be at the rest of them. So uh, headed down the stretch run. Appreciate you guys joining us, and uh, we'll talk to you later.